In the last podcast, I talked about the methylation cycle, and I went through some of the ideas behind it, some of the inaccuracies around it in terms of treatment, and the fact that there's a lot of information that we don't really understand. And in, I think it was my very first podcast, I spoke about epigenetics and the aspects of how DNA gets turned on and off. Today, I want to talk about both of those topics together and how they relate, because I think it's one of those pieces that's very important to understand about health and how you can use this in terms of treatment. So stay tuned on today's podcast, Ask Dr. Gill. As I mentioned in the intro, today I would like to cover epigenetics again. And to cover that, I need to talk a little bit about genetics. So it's one of those things that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I actually did my undergrad in genetics years and years ago at UC Berkeley, as I may have mentioned. And, you know, there's, there's this idea that we're hard-coded. And that, that idea is actually incorrect. So, so the, the basic idea behind genetics is that there's all of these base pairs and uh, that, that make, make up our, our core. And you basically have this long, long string of DNA and there's a sequence to it. It's like a, a code and, and that code is basically means the same thing. In other words, you can take a piece of DNA and it doesn't matter which person that piece of DNA is in. And if the, the strand of DNA is exactly the same, you're gonna get exactly the same thing in each person and in each cell within a person. And the reality is, is that's not what we're seeing when we look at the at the research, or what we see clinically either. So to better understand this, I think it's important to talk about what the theory about DNA is currently in, you know, in mainstream science and or mainstream lay science. Uh, it, I was taught 30 years ago that you, you basically have a string of DNA and that DNA might vary from human to human, but basically it's the same. And the sequence is hard-coded so that if the same base pairs are in order in every cell, then it's going to produce something exactly the same every time. And there's no defect that will show up with that. And a lot of the theory clinically now around genetic testing 
is around understanding those deviations that show up. For example, the MTHFR defect that I talked about last time is all about this idea that, you know, there's a change in the base pairing. And as a result of that, there's a change in the expression of the gene. And for some people, this, and for some conditions, this is absolutely accurate and a fact. For other people, it's, and other conditions, it's completely wrong. And I think epigenetics begins to explain this. So, in the epigenetic theory is different than what we've been seeing. And I think it's in part because there is a flexibility in the code. So, as I think I mentioned this in the first podcast, when we first did Human Genome Project, we were expecting to find between 100,000 to 150,000 genes in the human body. And this was based on the level of complexity in, in people, as well as, uh, you know, the level of diversity in people. And they figured, well, there's 25,000 regulatory genes. Well, they didn't even find 24,000 genes in the human body. And since that time, we've actually lowered the number of genes uh, in the body. So now, instead of 23,478, there's roughly 17,980, plus or minus, that we see in, in the human body. And the question is, is how do we get so much complexity and diversity in, in people based on that. And if you say that, that you have a code of DNA and there's a directionality to the code and a start and a stop to the code, you cannot get to that conclusion. So it's troublesome in terms of, you know, what is going on based on the theory. And the thing about it that's, that's kind of maddening is that some diseases, if there is a single nucleotide problem, so, so let me back up a little bit. DNA is made up of nucleotides, and there's four bases. Uh, just to simplify it, there's G, C, A, T, and they'll pair to each other. So G will pair with C, and A will pair with T. And... You know, if there's a change in one of those, then there could be a problem. So the theory behind this is, and, and this is what the research shows, and this is the piece that you, you kind of go, huh? Um, you know, based on based on the fact that there there is a code, but there isn't a code, right? So every three base pairs makes up an amino acid, and there's 20 amino acids, and each three set of base pairs will then be transcribed into an amino acid and then you get amino acids joining together and that makes a protein and then the protein goes and does something in the cell. And I'm giving you a, a, a gross oversimplification of all of this. So for example, let's say we wanted to make the amino acid uh, leucine. Well, you would use CTT would be coded into leucine. It's a little more complex than that because you actually take the DNA, the DNA is converted into RNA, and there's the, 
the T becomes a U, and we don't need to go into the details of that, but the RNA then makes the protein, and then the protein does its thing. And, and we've seen this. Like, you look at the RNA, and you get the RNA shows up and forms a protein. And it's sort of a uh, been fairly well studied, and and you know you kind of see this. And so it, the implication is is that there's a DNA code, and the sequence makes a difference. And if there's a problem in one of the base pairs, there's a problem in in the body, unless you know, kind of like it's not that big of a deal. And I'll give you an example. So uh, the UUU coding makes phenylalanine, okay? The UUC also makes phenylalanine. So if there's a change in the code from UUU to UUC, you don't see a difference. And and I'm talking in terms of non-epigenetics here. So the the problem though is is let's say it's UCU instead of UUU. Well, now the phenylalanine becomes serine, and that creates a different protein, potentially, or maybe the protein doesn't fold properly, and so it's not functional. So that's kind of the theory behind why these point mutations called SNPs are creating a problem. And based on what we know about sort of genetics and how genes or DNA is converted into RNA and RNA into proteins, it really makes sense, right? It makes sense that you should be looking at the, the level of the DNA to figure this out. But I'm gonna explain after the break why we're, this isn't what we're seeing. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Gill. I'm Dr. Gill Winkleman. So before I continue on this, I just want to remind you that if you have a question or you have a topic you want to cover, please feel free to email me at info, I-N-F-O, at askdrgill.com. That's A-S-K-D-R-G-I-L.com. And I am always looking for new topics, you know, to, to talk about on the program. And if there's something that we talked about that doesn't make sense, let me know and you know we'll try try something else so okay so so let's go back to the dna and epigenetics so here's the deal with with the the dna that and the theory that i just explained is that that theory makes sense if you find 100,000 genes in the body but really that's not what we're seeing we're seeing fewer and so there's more than 20,000 proteins in the body is kind of what, what we're seeing, but there's not that many genes. And we really don't understand this yet. So I'm like letting you know that this does not make sense. And 
I, I, you know, we can't really make sense of it yet. So, but what we do see clinically is that many of the people that we would expect to see problems genetically, in other words, let's say they have an MTHFR defect, and you would expect that that problem would show up with a particular type of methylation issue. It doesn't always pan out that way. And, you know, for example, you might see, see that they should have really, really low histamine as a result of that. But really what we see is that they have really, really high histamine as a result of that. And, you know, not all the pieces kind of fit together yet. But the piece, the theory that, that kind of overlays on this is the epigenetics. And epi means above and then genetics. And this theory was actually proposed in the 1940s before DNA was discovered. Um, you know, in, in terms of, of what it looks like. So uh, DNA was, was, was known or at least understood that something was there, but what it looked like and how it worked, we didn't really know until the 1950s with Watson Crick and, you know, their paper uh, that came out in, I think it was 1952. And so the idea was is that maybe there's a layer above the genetic layer that's controlling things. And it turns out that theory, you know, 50 years later was proven to be accurate, at least for the time being. And so, so the idea behind this is that um, it's not just the DNA, it's how things get turned on and off. So you could have a gene that doesn't work or a gene that does work right? And if you, if you have a, a, you know, something covering that, so it doesn't turn on, then it's not going to turn on, and you're not going to get the piece that you need. And so one of the theories behind undermethylation is that there's not enough of a, of a brake pedal on the serotonin reuptake proteins. And so the body produces way more serot uh, serotonin reuptake proteins. And those proteins then take up the serotonin really fast. And so you have de depressed serotonin and that's why, or why you know you get a particular type of depression if you're undermethylated that responds well to an SSRI, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, but it doesn't deal with the underlying issue. And and if you stop taking the SSRI, then you come back to the same problem. So that isn't that the gene is broken; it's that there's no brake pedal for the gene, and that's a very different sort of approach than just the hard code, well, your code is off, right? Because it means that we can shift that. We just don't know enough yet all the time how to figure that out. And this is where the methylation cycle is so important in terms of balancing the folate and the, the uh, you know, methylating agents such as L-methionine and, and SAMe. And my suspicion is over the years 
is we're going to be able to pinpoint things based on both epigenetic factors and genetic factors. So, for example, there was a study that came out about breast cancer and that women who have the, uh, the BRCA gene, the BRCA-1 gene, uh, typically you're at higher risk of breast cancer if you have that gene. Uh, if you take extra B vitamins, you actually can, particularly folate, if you take folate, it can increase the risk of the cancer. So there's something about the folate that is activating that gene more so, is the theory, than just, any, first of all, more than any other vitamin, B vitamin, because apparently if you take P5P or B12, it doesn't affect that. And it can, you know, create more problems and create more incidence of breast cancer if you're taking a high dose of folate. Conversely, other cancers might actually be exacerbated by taking SAMe. And, and so, you know, in terms of, of what I do and what Dr. Walsh does, you know, there's nothing... Uh, that we've seen thus far in terms of the people that we've been treating where their risk factors have gone up. And, and so I, wa I wanna just say that, that generally speaking, this is a very safe approach in terms of treating mental illness. And we don't know why that is, by the way. So the, stu the other studies were done in general population with high cancer risk patients to begin with, and their risk became greater as a result of that. Um, there is one caveat that that if you are getting chemotherapy, we gen generally do not do this sort of treatment. Uh, we don't want to give SAMe uh, in, in any dose and folate in a high dose in most cases. Uh, so it, it, we know that there's some effect there. Uh, that's not a population I've seen in my practice. Uh, so in any case, you know, going back to the epigenetics, the epigenetic piece... Is really kind of interesting because it totally changes this idea of being hard-coded. And we know that uh, diet, for example, will change epigenetic expression over time. So, you know, not eating processed foods actually helps improve our physical function, but it's doing it at a genetic level as well, on an epigenetic level. And, you know, kind of the, the, the way I think about it is, is that when you're eating really good food for yourself, you're turning on the good genes, right? And we've seen this in terms of meditation and gratitude practices and yoga and exercise. Like those activities change the way our genes are being expressed. And just because you have a genetic predisposition to breast cancer based on one gene that doesn't mean everyone with that genetic predisposition ends up with breast cancer. People who take care of themselves and are more careful are at a significantly lower risk than people who don't, you know, do the same. And that's what's so great about epigenetics is now you have control over your health on some level. Now, obviously, no one has 100% control over what happens to them in life. But at least there are some things you can do to improve your chances and risk factors. And that's the, that's the message. I really think that, that epigenetics really is a hopeful message and 
empowering message to patients. And I think I'm, I'm doing this again because I've had so many patients come in and say, well, I did 23andMe and I am just hosed. Like there's nothing I can do. And the reality is, is that's not true. Um, you know, it's not that the information is bad or wrong. It's just incomplete. And I think that having that information can be helpful up to a point. So, so that's kind of the, the approach that I take. Anyway, that's all I have for you guys today. If you have any questions, feel free to send me uh, an email. Again, it's info at askdrgill.com, info at askdrgil.com. And I hope you enjoyed this. If you, uh, if you do, please, you know, share it with other people, uh, post it to Twitter or Facebook and, you know, give a good review in iTunes if, if, that's, if that's how you're listening to it. Um, in any case, I will see you next time. Take care and have a great day.